to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to be looking at that book of Philippians, so if you want to uh, open your Bible or um, turn your um, attention to the screen or open your device, um, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to do a little bit of background work. Every time that we go into a new book, I think it's really important to understand um, the author, uh, what the author's purpose was, also the recipients, that's the original audience, because you have to think through that, that God was intentionally speaking to, giving um, revelation to this specific crowd at that moment in, in a particular time and place in that setting, but also he was wise enough to know that that's going to be helpful for congregation after congregation after congregation all through the future. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but um, looking at the background and the setting, understanding the purposes, the, the author's intent is always huge. Um, Philippians of all books in the New Testament is probably one of the most quoted books but often misapplied. So uh, just this last week, I mean, I'm so excited. Uh, my blood, I, I literally just feel chills. I, I just watched uh, the, the thing of Florida and um, Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer. Uh, so it's on there now. Like Michael Scott said, he's better get the bleep, bleep button ready. And I figured going into that, that's going to be the case. But man, just to see the, the, the intensity of those environments, because I just, I just love a lot of those things that go on. And I love how Tebow just stood strong in the middle of a culture that just doesn't even understand what godliness is and all those things. But they were hyped about all those things. And, um, uh, and I remember, so Tim Tebow, he'd always have the, the different verses, but you know, I, and then the towels and, and then other players would always have on there, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I've been around, you know, some of the little, the, 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 the young kid coaching things where literally I've heard coaches or parents or moms, you know, praying like, God, and just let us win, let us win. And, and that's fine. But, but what if there's a parent over there on the other team that's also praying, God, let us win also. Like, which one now? Let's go to the holier on the, on the paradigm there. Let's go to the, which one's holier? Is that how God decides to win and things like that? So um, I, I'm not so sure that, you know, that, that equals itself out when, when you got people praying for the win on both sides. And so, uh, uh, at the same time, you've got people who will wear, you know, John three sixteen or Philippians four thirteen, and they live nothing for Christ. You know, that, that was happening also. And so, um, it's one of the most misquoted, um, and misapplied, uh, books of the Bible. But, um, we are, um, Next week, I've got a little video that we'll show at the first, um, and it's just a, a video, and it's specifically talking about four, six, and seven, but um, the whole book of Philippians is known sometimes as a book that's supposed to um, remind our hearts to be joyful. I think there's some other themes that's not just about joy, and so we'll get into that in a second also, but even this week, um, I put up some things on the website. We changed the website, and it's really going to be life-changing. This is just a screenshot, but what I wrote under the, the video, I put that on the, I, put, I uploaded the video onto our website, and I wrote this underneath, that our world is facing much anxiety, depression, fear, loneliness, hatred, polarization, and financial uncertainty. Is there a way out of all this? Is there anyone who could still bring peace at this time and place in human history? Join us as we discover a peace that transcends all understanding and uncertainty as we go through the book of Philippians. So I wrote those words and then I, I read it and I thought, man, that's really kind of just like a downer. Like that's really kind of like just a, man, a warm slap in the face, you know. But then the next day I, had, I have two or three commentaries I'm working through. And John MacArthur's commentary, which was written in 2001. So this is back in 2001. Um, here's what his says. Um, I think I got a slide of that also. Yeah. So here's, uh, this is the very first paragraphs in John MacArthur's commentary on Philippians. Um, we live in a generally sad world, a fallen world, well acquainted with despair, depression, disappointment, dis dissatisfaction, and a longing for lasting happiness that often never comes to pass. So man, that. That's pretty heavy too. Like all of a sudden, mine doesn't sound so bad. Uh, moments of pleasure and satisfaction are scattered through the general pain and sorrow of life. 
Many people have little hope that their situation in life will ever change much, if any, for the better. Hopelessness tends to increase with age. Man, like, man, it's like this guy. He, he, he's a four on the enneagram. Like he's like I can I can completely say amen to this stuff. Like John gets it, you know. Uh, and, but then he says, long years of life often become long years of sorrow. Check. Um, then he goes on to say, unfulfillment, loss of loved ones. Check, check. Um, and it, it tends to be um, a loss of friends, often physical limitations and pain. Such de- decreasing times of happiness tend to produce a morbid sadness and lessening satisfaction with life. I was like, man, John, like maybe we should, we should do another book. Maybe we don't need to do Philippians, you know? And so that's the first paragraphs. And so, uh, again, that's written in 2001. That's before our beautiful um, life-enhancing, soul-enhancing things such as social media, right? Uh, so, you know, Facebook comes out in 2006, and you used to just never know um, how, how bad and morbid your life actually was. Uh, you, you didn't know that you you're just kind of um, just uh, killing yourself in your living room with your little ones and doing this and, and until your friends posted that oh they're in the Bahamas this whole week when you're sitting in you know either 30 degree rain or 107 degree temperatures you thought everyone else was suffering also and now there's Facebook that gets to show you no your friends are in the Bahamas enjoying this you never get did get to tell uh, Twitter comes out a few years later and then um, Instagram 2010 um, you didn't know uh, how promising and successful other people's lives were um, you, you didn't know uh, the, their children, how good their children were doing compared to yours. Um, they, would, they would have family pictures where everyone's in matching clothes, and, and, and they, they had hair that was brushed. So they brushed their hair and took pictures. And so that, that's just like, you didn't know that was all going on. You could just be happy in your own little living room and not even know what the, the chaos that you lived in could be different. And, but then Instagram and Facebook and all these things. And so then uh, with Twitter, with Instagram, with, um, and then uh, God bless TikTok, that, that now, hey, here's a great idea. Let's give 12 and 13-year-olds cameras and let them video themselves for 10-second clips doing all kinds of body gyrations set to music for 10 seconds. Like that, That's just a phenomenal idea, and, and all of a sudden it becomes as, as trustworthy as you know the news channels that we used to watch. And so, uh, man, uh, social media it just changes everything. But the negative with that, with all those wonderful blessings, is that uh, instantaneously you're updated on traumatic um, events of just horrible travesties and um, life situations of people across across the globe that you would not even know about or of scandals and all these things. So, um, and all of those things, there, there's cultural upheaval. There's, there's polarizing camps that, that know how to um, use media to influence us. This week, I know Meta um, had discovered something in uh, some, some organizi- organized um, cybercrime in China that was um, making up fake news scandals and making it look like it was from, coming from Newsweek or the Wall Street Journal. And they had, they had made it look very, very appealing and very um, truthful. And so, and come to find out, it just was a whole bunch of fake stuff, um, much like other, other places have done that. So all of these different polarizing um, things that are going on. Um, we, we've seen scandal after scandal, abuse after abuse in corporate America, as well as in ministries and churches. Um, wars, atrocities, natural disasters. There's a growing distrust of long-standing institutions um, of security and ethics. And when, when the financial and economic, and with the financial and economic uncertainty, along with our current inflation and then the worst housing and interest rates in decades, um, it just it tolls on people. Um, they say there's more anxiety and depression in kids from 10 and 11, 10 to 18 than ever before. Um, in adults, uh, loneliness, depression, uh, anxiety, fear is running rampant in this particular area that our church is in. Um, it's one of the biggest things that every time I talk to store owners or people in the community, some of the people in the apartments, uh, the, some of the apartment managers, um, the different places in just this two or three mile radius here, they will say mental health, depression, um, anxiety, fear of nothing's ever going to change and it's just getting worse. Um, and so in that, God is not surprised. 
We have to remember, the Philippians reminds us that God is not surprised about our world um, or the things that are happening uh, day to day or moment by moment. Um, God wants Philippians to be a reminder of truth that we can be secure and content. We can, we can learn about unity as a fellowship together, and we can learn about humility and, and even have elements of joy even while going through trials and complex times. So I hope that that's what we um, begin to learn a little bit in Philippians. Um, so that's just a little precursor. So the, some, some background work. Let's do a little bit of work on that. So most people know um, the author of the book is Paul. And so, um, and we're going to talk about the author and the recipients, the original audience. But um, the book of Philippians written by Paul, he's in a Roman jail cell at the time. And he's probably been in jail in, in Rome for three to four years at this point. So um, some different, different views. Is it a jail cell? Has he been um, exercising freedom where he's on house arrest and he's at a place where there's guards and things like that? Or is he in a cell? Um, possibly 15 to 20 years after he had planted this church in Philippi. And so we're going to go through the background of how the church plant happened because um, we're a church plant. And so thinking through what was the background, what was the situation, and, and then to see that in the middle of this, this lost world, no hints of Christ, here comes um, God intervening with the gospel. What a beautiful picture of grace. Um, that's what we need going on in our world. And so this is 15 to 20 years after he had planted the church. Um, he also wrote Colossians, um, uh, Ephesians, and Philemon from that prison also. So if you read those books, he was, he was writing those as he was there also. Um, the occasion for that was they had sent a financial gift um, to Paul while he was in prison to take care of some of his needs. It's kind of like putting money on your, your kid's lunch account. And so they, would, they were sent a letter and sent some uh, money to him as, as a financial gift uh, through this guy named Epaphroditus. And so um, uh, Epaphroditus is, um, he almost dies on the trip that you learned during the letter. And, and then as he gets to better health after a few months, then Paul's going to send this letter Philippians back to that church through Epaphroditus. So um, just a beautiful story there. Um, the, the recipients, um, you're going to notice this, a, a very deep intimacy that Paul has with them. Uh, uh, the church plant was during his second missionary um, movement and uh, second, second missionary trip. Uh, people were poor for the most part. They were weak and they were very marginalized because of the powerful Romans that were there. They were persecuted, and this is where the, these are some, some things that Paul identified with them. Um, if you remember back in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians was a rich town, and I, I've kind of compared it to kind of like the Southern Hills end over here, and then Peoria in 61st, right? And what was crazy was like, it'd be like Paul sitting up at Southern Hills at the gates up there, and the poorer people at 61st and Peoria were sending money to him in Corinth like the rich area. And so the Philippians had done that a couple of times. And so Paul is saying to them, um, you're such a graceful people, and yet you're going through persecution yourself. You guys are being persecuted for the sake of Christ. And we'll see that in, in chapter one. Also, they were, they were, um, there were some people trying to mislead uh, the church. And we'll see that in chapter uh, three. And these were Judaizers. And what that means is they were people that were trying to get people to add on to faith in Christ alone, they're trying to get people to add on the rules and the systems and the structures of Judaism. So you need to become a Jew first. You need to be circumcised. You need to go by all the, the moral and uh, social laws and, and structures in Judaism to become a Christian is what they were trying to push. Interestingly, if you trace it biblically, there's lots of books, Galatians, this, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, several letters talk about um, the, these misleading teachers inside the church, it's usually never people inside the church saying, hey, go and live free and go and sin like you want to. In fact, it's always people going, we need more lists. You need more rules and more rules to get more accepted by God. And so it's interesting that, that that's the case in the New Testament. Um, they're also facing threats of unity, and we'll see in chapter 4. Um, and so the, the contents, and here's what his purposes are uh, for the letter. First of all, just to show gratitude for their generosity. He, he wanted to write back to them and send this through Epaphroditus to say, hey, thank you guys so much for your financial gift. It was really um, generous of you. But also he wanted to update them on his own situation in the upcoming trial because the trial that Paul's facing, he may be facing death. They don't know yet. Is, is he going to be allowed to either go free or stay as a, um, a person that's imprisoned, or will he be put to death uh, because of his... Um, uh, kind of the unsettling um, proselytization of, of Christianity in, in the Roman areas. 
Um, but also he wanted to warn them about the Judaizers and all the misleading teachers inside the church. But he also wanted to encourage their unity and deep gospel fellowship. So we'll, we'll see those things. I would say that um, this idea of treasuring Christ when loss is gain is something that, that would come out of this letter. So treasuring Christ as you go through loss, because loss can actually be gain. You can still be in Christ. And so we're going to see that um, it, it's, it has some motifs of joy. It's joy. It's the joy of Christ. So remember Jesus facing the cross even, going for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So it's the joy of Christ. It's joy from Christ himself. You, it's not just you mustering it up and just you know, having a, a meditation thing. I just need to be more positive. I mean, those things can work on little things, but not the, the joy of the Lord that comes from your salvation being secure. The songs that we just sang, uh, the joy of Christ, the joy from Christ through the Holy Spirit, and the joy in Christ. So this is available to all those who are truly in Christ. Um, these motifs are there, uh, joy in Christ, unity and deep fellowship, humility of Christ, all those things. Um, and as we're going through this, the reason that, that the context and background are, are, are important is we're in a time where we're also, it's, it's been this way for a while, but again, we're, everyone's challenging the errancy of Scripture. Does the Bible have errors in it? Um, does the Bible, can we, is the Bible trustworthy? It implies that God is not omniscient. It implies that God knew what he was talking about in 45 AD to these Philippians, but, but humans are going to evolve and change. We're going to become enlightened. We're, we're going to have nuances to where God just really didn't understand how much we were going to change. Well, that's not God. That, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of Christianity at all. Um, he's not going to be found ignorant over changing morals or changing cultural norms or changing enlightened human needs um, at a later point in history. He would not be God if that was so. Uh, so the better that we understand where they, what they were like and what they were facing and going through, and then God's instruction to them in the middle of that for their flourishing and good, then the more that we can understand what God would have us do in our day. So um, we, we need to help our younger people understand this. Um, we need to, as adults, and even church culture, you're seeing just people who are caving on the issue of errancy in Scripture, um, on the issue of some cultural things, uh, on what, what marriage is, what, what man and woman is. And we're, we're going to be probably persecuted for some of those things. It may be come apart where they say, if you're going to teach those things from a pulpit, then we're going to shut your church down. Um, 20 years ago, there was paperwork trying to get that in the works if certain people would have won the presidency. And so um, that, that we could still hold on to that. I mean, that Paul's facing those type things then. And so we can hold on to that and, and teach our kids that in a certain way where they're not hating or shaming people who have different beliefs or, or misleading beliefs, but in a way where they can just be a loving, encouraging force around them, a faithful gospel presence to be able to hold the truth and, and to say, you know, this is true. This is the most loving thing I could share with you. I'm not going to force it down your throat. You're going to be who you, you know, think that you should be and all that stuff and what you identify as. But I, I'm just telling you from, from the beginning, this God knew what he was talking about. And so we can hold on to that. Um, Let's look at how the church was planted in Acts 15. Um, a very famous thing you should know a little bit about Acts 15. Um, it's a, a huge monumental piece um, in the scriptures, but I would encourage you to read, go back and read Acts 15 and Acts 16 um, in your own time just to kind of see as th this church was born. Um, so um, the setting here is, is how this church in Philippi got started. Um, in Acts 15, it's, again, one of the most important conferences ever called the Jerusalem Council. The conference will decide the foundational direction and formation for churches for the next 2,000 years. So what was happening that was leading up to this is as Paul and, and, and Barnabas and, different, and some of the apostles were going to some different places those first 10, 15 years, what began to happen was a person who was not Jewish began to get saved. And the Holy Spirit came and they either, you know, some miracles or they spoke in tongues, but there were some clear markers that salvation was going to Gentiles. So the question that, that, that become was, can these people get saved without first becoming Jewish and, and, and adhering to Jewish customs and, and Judaism? Circumcision, all the ceremonial laws, all the moral laws, all the societal laws. Do they have to do that and then on top of that receive Christ? 
So a huge issue. So so because you got Gentiles who know nothing about that, and just think as that as the it spread further and further outside of Jerusalem, it wasn't about the location of Jerusalem. God was going to say, "This is not about Israel location wise. This is to the ends of the earth." And so that was the question. So they needed to, to, to look at that most significant question. Does faith in Christ require adherence to Judaism's systems and structures? To be a Christian, do you also have to go by Old Testament law of Israel? Um, so uh, that was the foundational question. And the answer, beautifully, is that no, it's faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. You do not have to adhere to Judaism first or adopt Jewish customs and be circumcised to be saved. Um, so that would allow the gospel to spread, and it would be faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. That message would be what would be spreading throughout the world. So a beautiful picture there. Um, and then also, um, as we get into Acts 15, as you go further, um, salvation is, is not about, um, again, a Jewish thing and their practices, nor Israel proximity. Because there's going to be people who knew nothing about Israel's gods. They're going to run into places where they didn't understand and have a, a Jewish background. Um, in Acts 15, this is the, the story now of as the, before the church in Philippi was planted, as uh, Paul and Barnabas are going to be leaving Antioch. It says, let us return and visit the brothers. Paul saying this to Barnabas. And, and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Notice this. He didn't say, hey, let's go plant uh, churches and let's go to Philippi and Macedonia and those places. So no, just notice that. And there's, a, there's a reason for that that applies to our lives. Because God will give a general call sometimes that requires faith and obedience. And so Paul, just and you know, the Spirit kind of just led him to, hey, let's go back to those churches that we've already established and let's encourage them. And let's tell them mainly about the Jerusalem Council's um, decision that you do not have to be Jewish. You don't have to go by Judaism. And so in Acts 16, as they went on their way through the cities, so they're going from city to city, they delivered to them uh, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem, Jerusalem council, right? So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Can you imagine? Like, we just read over that. That's a simple sentence. So the churches were encouraged, and they increased in numbers daily. 30 days, 60 days. 365 days, maybe two, three years of people split up. Hey, the good Christians, the ones who are getting circumcised and the ones who are going by the, these laws. And now you, you Gentile people ha, are now setting up these little um, areas where you're trying to kind of copy what the Jews were telling you you must do. And some of the Jewish leaders, um, they were the ones enforcing these rules and laws and telling you, you guys must do these little sacrificial systems also. So there's arguments. There's hierarchy. Who's, who's the ones who are more godly? Who's the ones who dress more godly? Who's the ones who are adhering to Jewish law more than others? So there's this crowd over here, and there's this crowd over here that's kind of in, throwing those laws out there. And so it's a confusing time. So that would be so encouraging to find out, hey, God accepts me just the way I am. As long as I have repentance and faith, then I'm new in Christ. It's, it's about Christ and his, the perfection he lived, not about these, these little rules and systems that the Jews lived under. And so that would be very encouraging. Just imagine what was going on as they gathered. There's all kinds of things going on, just judgmental looks, all those things. So you read over that quickly, but there was a lot more going on deeper. Um, in Acts 16, now here's where we see the guidance by the Spirit. Just a beautiful picture. So if you see there, down here at the bottom uh, corner on this map where Jerusalem is, up north of that is Antioch. And so, and, um, and so not Antioch, Syria, but uh, I mean, not the Antioch up to the, in Galatia, but Antioch in Syria. And so they're going to leave and go from Antioch through Tarsus, where Paul was from. Then they go through these cities all the way over to Troas. Now, now notice what happens. Uh, there's an area north of Antioch up there that they were going to go into. In Acts 16, it says, um, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So there was a point where they wanted to go north and then back to the east, back further into Asia. They wanted to do that, and it says that the Holy Spirit forbid them from going that way. Now, that could have been just being led by the Spirit in some way, 
uh, and there today with Paul there, it may have been an audible voice. It may have been these roads were flooded and we could not go. Because remember, they were building Roman roads and all that stuff was a huge factor. And so the roads were flooded. We couldn't go that way. Uh, there, was, there was no Jewish synagogues. We heard if we go in that direction, there's no synagogue. So we're, we're, we're going to go this way. We're just going to make a decision. So it could have been any number of factors, but the Holy Spirit guided them. Um, he forbid them from going into Asian, eastern parts. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. And so that's up that north area where you see there where um, Galatia is. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So again, they're, they're being led by the Spirit. So we've got to ask the question, why did God not care about all those in Asia? Why did God not, not want to save people in Bithynia? And so, the, again, some people will use that to say, what, what kind of God is this? Um, this trip for Antioch to Syria in Tro, to, to Troas was over 785 miles. So it probably took a couple of months, even if they were traveling 15 to 20 miles a day. So the, th- this trip is a long trip um, there, 785 miles. And so um, a couple of months probably of daily trying to uh, you know, go into villages and stuff, but also discern what the Lord's wanting them to do. But the Spirit halts them twice with a no. Um, that little bitty strait there between, between Troas and Greece, that was known as the gateway to Europe. Um, it was the gateway to Rome. So think about that. There's the separation of those continents. You could Basically, you could get from Salisaw to there. If you got over that strait, you could get to Salisaw from, from Troas. Um, the Spirit forbidding them and not allowing them could have been many different types of setbacks, all those things. So we're not only studying here a, a book of Philippians, but we're also zooming out to see God's redemptive plan of taking the gospel to all of those places because Rome was the New York City and London of the day, right? And so it becomes very clear in Paul's letters, he wanted to get the gospel to Rome because it was the epicenter of all that. Um, in, in, verse 16, in, in chapter 16 again, um, well, let me go... As they were taking the gospel um, to those places, they, they, they had been thinking, we're going to go this way with it. And the Spirit said no and said no and directed them to this. And they get to Troas. They don't know what they're supposed to do at that point. And then God clarifies to them through this, what they call later on the Macedonian man. It's a vision. We're about to see that. Um, so let's, let's take to our current day, New Beginnings Church. Uh, Jamie and I had been looking at church planting for four or five years. God began to shut the door and shut the door. Practical ways, frustrating on my part and Jamie's part. Angry. We took a trip to Florida and then we took two special days that we were going to drive back and spend two days in uh, Louisville to, to get in. You know, we were going to look at being part of Sojourn, one of the Sojourn churches there in Louisville to do a two-year um, residency program, and I already had a list of 30 cities and 20 cities and 10 cities, and we were going to do a two-year residency where the boys were a little bit literal. We felt like, hey, you know what? It, it, we're okay with Jamie going to work and me working um, for one of those churches and doing that, and then and let God decide where he wanted to send us to church plant. And in that, we drive up there. We get into Louisville. It had been raining 12 straight hours uh, from the, the night before all the way through. Um, I think we had car problems. Um, Jamie broke a tooth off. Two of our boys, as they're in the car, start throwing up and getting fever. We pull into an urgent care. I have a list of six places that Jamie's going to go visit, um, six schools. Um, I have a, a list of four places that I'm going to go visit, some professors from Southern Seminary that have told me, hey, if you come and we talk, I, I think I've got some jobs lined up or some things working for Southern Seminary that work out. I'm sitting in urgent care for four hours. Jamie's got the van going to an emergency dentist thing, $800. That's fun at the end of vacation. And, and the boys are puking. They've got fevers. And I'm just sitting here just going like, what in the world is going on? And we drive from Louisville 12 hours back, just first four hours just in silence, other than the boys chaotically screaming nonstop. And so we're, but we're just going, what is going on? This has been two or three years of God's direction and no, 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 no. So I, as I'm there, I was calling some professor, like, hey man, I, then the guy just said that the, 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 the job shut down. This didn't, so we didn't even go and visit those. Jamie didn't go visit any places. I didn't go visit any places. We had all these no's, and we drive back, and a pretty tough situation back where we were at, and we had made a decision that we probably will have to be leaving that church because of some of the spiritual or the uh, church discipline going on with one of the pastors, and so just we couldn't stay there. And you talk about just going, 
God, we're, we've been trying. We've been trying to be faithful. We're trying to honor you. We, we want to get the gospel out to more people. We're willing to do this miserable thing called church planting even. And you're not even letting us. Like, what's going on? And then you begin to go, like, is this sin? I'm sure it's Jamie. It's got to be Jamie. Tell me what's going on. And so all these questions that you begin to think through. And then we get a call from New Beginnings. We're at New Beginnings for a year or two. And then they and I started talking to them about revitalization. And they said, Sankey. I said, hey, I can't work on all this stuff for revitalization. And this, like, it's a lot of spinning plates. A lot. The office was huge. 10, 12 people on staff. 50 people in there all. And I said, hey, can I go and get away and just get alone. I need time in prayer. I need time in the Word. And I need time in some of these books to lay out a plan for us. And they said, hey, you go every morning from like 8 to 12. Just go Monday through Thursday and get away. So I went to this spot over in Bigsby and just sat. It's right off Memorial. And I would sit and I would pray and I'd read. And I'd research. And I'd do this stuff. Coming back with this plan. And about four months in, all of a sudden, I just, I didn't hear a voice or anything. But just a sentence kind of popped in my head about church planting. And I just, uh, no, 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 no way, you, you know. I kind of, no dad, no God, you kind of hurt my feelings last time, so I'm not willing to listen to that. Well, then a couple days later, some more church planting stuff. And a lot of hurt there. And so just like, so I remember talking to Jamie, kind of going like, because we've been up here, you know, 18 months, I was like, hey, um, remember that church planting deal? And she's just like, oh, gosh, you know, like, boys are really loving school. What, 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 you know, what do you feel like? And so God started leading in some of those ways. And so truly over some, just a few days, then this particular area, I knew nothing about Tulsa. I didn't know if this was, I didn't, I wasn't thinking of socioeconomic or financial or whatever. I just, this whole area, right in this area. And so I, I did this look, I did this zoom and then zoomed in on the map and did, looked up how many churches were in this area. And then people began to go, Oh, like, Oh, you don't want to go in that area. Like go anywhere other than that area. It's just a really tough area. And so then I was like, Oh, well, you know, and then I just get a call from a guy who I, I'd read his books for a while, Dave Harvey. I'd read two or three of his books and handed out his books. And then I just get a call from this number I don't know. It's like, hey, this is Dave Harvey. Um, I just got hired on at Sojourn Network at the time. Would you consider looking at church planting again? And so that's what God began to do. So you think you're going in this direction. You think you're trying to be obedient. And God may say no. Um, there's some difficult deals there, but God will bring this. So let's, let's look at Acts chapter 16 here. Um, the Macedonian man. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. No, I, so I didn't get a vision. I didn't get a vision in the night. I didn't have a dream or anything. But God began to lead through the scriptures and then some practical means to, do the, to, to, to guide and direct. Um, and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, so right there, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel, that, that's a good marker. If your motive and what you're saying, God's directed me to this, is that God wants to get the gospel. Now let me tell you what is very common. A guy will go, hey, thank you, man, um, we're going to have to decommit to the church. We're going to have to not be around as much because I, I got this thing that I'm wanting to do for the Lord. Granted, I'm going to make $10 million in this. So this venture, I'm going to go and make $10 million, but man, am I going to bless the church. And that we're going to have this great area for youth. We're going to have this great area for all kinds of spiritual things and spiritual events. And yeah, yeah, we're, I'm making 10 to 20 million, but, but we're going to do this. And it's, I don't sit there and go, oh, that's ridiculous. That's, that's foul. But, but see what happens sometimes? We, I have big dreams of what I want. And then if I just spiritualize it and go, well, it, it, I'm going to, I'm going to do something good for the church one day. Let me just tell you. 10 out of 10, 20 out of 20, 30 out of 30, they, they never come back and go, hey, remember what we said we were going to do for the church or whatever? Um, that just doesn't happen. And so when, when it's a general thing about, hey, I want to get the gospel to these people, that's a pretty clear thing. Now, I'm not saying, and there, there is times when God leads people to start businesses and stuff. I'm just saying when, if it's just about your future success and all things, and you, now you put Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I mean, really, I think that's your desire, and you're wanting to, you know, just scripturalize it. So, um, days and weeks later, their their plans were changed. Um, where the no seemed daunting, God was more concerned about salvation and the gospel advancing their plans, even though they were striving and working to advance the gospel. Notice that they were wanting to serve and get the gospel out, and God still said no and no and no and shut down things because he had something else. And what was he doing there? He was getting the gospel to an entire new continent. 
It was getting the gospel into Rome. So following God's will. First of all, here's one thing, just a little side note on following God's will. If God calls you to a specific task or role or job or place or people, he usually makes a very general call, like this vision from God. They didn't have a guy's name as a vision. Paul didn't go around and go, hey, have you seen this Macedonian man? He, he, he just knew that's the way that God directed them. Um, so it's very general with no details, not a guy's name, not a contact person or a list of what exactly they were supposed to do. Notice that they're, they're not very clear. And there's, if you go back and read Acts 15, um, as they were earlier, they were saying, Hey, we encourage the churches and all this stuff. They didn't give them a lot of direction. It was just like, Hey, you don't have to be into Judaism. You guys farewell. And that was it. Like that's a lot of freedom for churches. Right. Um, so God wasn't specific on those things. Um, so I usually ask and plead for God to show me like four steps or five steps and through, through my life, he usually just, he, he, that, that's blank, but just I'm calling you to this first step and it takes faith and trust and obedience. That's a very common thing, not just for my life, but for a lot of people. Uh, Henry Blackaby's book, uh, Experiencing God, same thing. It's like he'll, he'll lay one brick to, for you to step on and says, are, are you going to have the faith to take that step of obedience? It's going to require a, a test of faith for you to do that. Um, and it's not, hey, here's the five steps. That's not, usually not what God does. Secondly, it's God, God's timing. It's his provision and his goals. Uh, he usually doesn't uh, give those detailed steps of one, two, three, four, five, uh, because he wants it to require faith and obedience where you're trusting in him. Um, but he will provide all you need spiritually and practically in his timing, not yours. Um, that's that's been the case in everything that we've gone through um, that we've seen. That's the case for most people. Um, no matter what it is that God, if He calls you to something like that to a people, um, He's He's probably going to do it in His timing. And then also, God's purposes um, are greater than your purposes and even greater than your sin. You could say yes to God and start taking steps of faith, and then you may have, as a family or as individuals, you may have sin. People in your family can have sin. It's not going to. Um, kick back and uh, divert God's overall plan. And so even your own sin, and you can get mixed up and like feel like, oh, why are they, all these things going on? Sometimes it's just satanic attack. Sometimes it's just natural um, hurdles and obstacles that we're facing in a natural world. Um, but, but God's plans and purposes are going to go through. Um, and then also the fourth one is uh, his, his call is usually not concerned about your creature comforts. So sometimes um, he will call you to do things that are very difficult that are very, very difficult. And you, you, if you feel like, hey, this is going to be about a year situation for us to go through this, you get to about month seven and you're going, what in the world's going on? Why is all this happening? Well, he, he'd probably let you know early on, this is going to be difficult. You're taking steps of faith and he's not concerned about your air conditioning or your car breaking down or those things. Like he, he, he's going, I've got something bigger. Those are just natural things in life. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, they're not giving clarity on travel, on housing, on money, on safety, on life details. Any OCD people that like, I'd like all those things before we take the first step. I'd like all those before security details, uh, a plan. I want to know what's happening. Um, so Paul goes on and then, um, they get to, um, get to, you get to see where Philippi's at now. And so it's on the other continent. Um, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So huge deal. Leading city, Roman colony, which meant had direct roads. Uh, so remember the Roman road where we even get our term Roman road there? Uh, the something Ignatia, um, that via Ignatia maybe um, in Latin, they uh, they had a road to Philippi, huge factor for education, philosophy, uh, medical, all those different things once you were connected to Rome. And so, the, and so why would God do that? He's using practical means where the gospel will be able to spread now. And, and, and Philippi was a major route for trade and uh, mercantile and all those things. So um, it's a Roman colony. And, and then the Philippian church is born, I think, uh, 13 through, um, through 16 there. Uh, a beautiful picture. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate of the to the riverside where we supposed there was a, a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together there. Now, Paul's um, usual uh, MO, his method was to, they would always go into a town and they would go to the Jewish synagogue first. So if there's not a Jewish synagogue, 
that's the reason they went out to the riverside. They knew if there's some God-fearers out there on the Sabbath, they may be gathering for prayer, and they were, they were Gentiles. And so if you didn't have a synagogue, that meant that there weren't 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue there. And so they didn't have one there. And so they go to the riverside on the Sabbath day, and they find these, these women. Um, and so one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And the church is born in Philippi right there. A lady who owns her own business, who has this mercantile business, and the business that she did, a seller of purple goods, was uh, the, the, that's the rich people. That's, that's the robes, that's the curtains, that's the thick stuff. So uh, dyeing those things, she was, she was a, a mercantile person, owned her own business, successful business. In fact, you read in different parts of the New Testament where she was a supporter with, from her business and the success of her business uh, was doing so well that she supported them in many, many ventures. So um, the church is born through the Spirit's work, the Spirit opened her eyes to understand. So you see there, it wasn't Paul's persuasion methods or anything, um, just out on this riverside. After that, Paul and uh, Silas get imprisoned because they cast out a demon of this little troublesome girl, and they get thrown in jail because the little girl made money for her owners, and so they get thrown in jail, and that's where the Philippian jailer becomes a believer, uh, maybe the next day. And so uh, now you've got uh, Lydia, and you've got the, the jailer. Uh, the girl gets a demon cast out of her. doesn't necessarily mean that she was saved. So some people would argue either way. But remember Acts 1.8. Uh, the Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now um, some you know, 20 years later, the gospel crosses over into a new continent. So a beautiful picture there. And so that's the setup um, God had redemptive purposes in saying no those two times earlier. And so as we get into Philippians 1, now we get into Philippians, and we're just covering verses 1 and 2. And um, let's read 1 and 2 there. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So into this setting, this setting so think of this little town, no synagogue, no churches um, of, of, of Christian belief at all. Whole region, whole area, whole continent with no churches, right? And, and think about this. People who are walking in darkness, are they good? They're, they're nice people. Are they moral? Are they maybe following other uh, religious systems and, and treat their neighbors well and treat their kids good? Yes. Are they followers of Christ? No. Spiritual darkness is completely surrounding and just embedding this place. And notice this, undeserving people, he's sending his spirit in this gift of salvation, completely filled with non-believers, all the surrounding villages and cities and regions and countries, and they're unknowingly about to be interrupted. So this, this dark mass sitting here, and yet God's about to bring light and break through the darkness with the light of the gospel. They're walking around just like us, going through their lives, having no idea, trying their best, probably feeling that there could be some kind of God, but I just never do good enough. And then those, those, those uh, people that believe in God but don't know about Christ, um, the same thing, just, just their hearts have not been renewed yet. And then here God um, unknowingly is going to send the gospel and just re start redeeming people. All the way from, from Lydia and the jailer to we're sitting here in this little building in Tulsa because of God's plan of redemption there. Um, God interrupting people's lives with the gospel, interrupting and captivating people's goals and plans and lives to surrender their life to Christ. So um, a, just a couple of things I wanted to bring out in, in the, uh, those first couple of verses. First of all, notice Paul's um, um, greeting to them. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. In other places, Paul really went into um, his apostleship. So if you look at the other letters that he wrote, he emphasized his apostleship because he was saying, hey, you got some problems going on. Uh, remember, Paul, an apostle. So you see there in Romans, in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, set apart. So he, he's, he's emphasizing his apostleship, the same thing that goes on in Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. But here with the Philippians, he says, 
a servant. He doesn't have to emphasize his apostleship. So this letter's tone is completely different. There's a, a tone of intimacy and of understanding and care there. And so we'll see that as the book goes on. Um, so he's lacking his uh, apostleship there. Um, he's emphasizing that lowliness and humility. Um, now also he, he says a servant. The word is there is doulos. And that word doulos is um, for him to uh, be able to show, um, let me go back to this one, uh, Doulos is the word, it's beyond servant to uh, a slave. And so, now here's what's difficult about that. Um, because of situations that have happened in our um, recent time period, so we've, we've had people try to say, um, politicians and even pastors, um, to say, to, to lessen the horrific nature of slavery. So, so this is, the word slavery here is different than the American, uh, African-American slave trade. Completely different. Now, when we have the situations that rise up and we've got uh, all the kinds of polarity with um, uh, ethnic and racial situations going on, what we've had some politicians do is try to lessen the blow of uh, American slavery. And what they've said is, hey, no, 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 you misunderstood it. Like our, our books have got it wrong. It was really good for the slaves. It was actually really good. They were protected. I mean, they had a house. They had food. I mean, they had job security. I mean, they try to lessen that. Pastors have even joined that. That's more of a um, po political deal, uh, appeasing your people, because slavery was horrific. There may have been some, some decent, maybe even Christian slave owners who did treat their people with a little bit more grace, but that was not one out of 20. It wasn't one out of 50. It wasn't one out of 100. It wasn't one out of 1,000. It was much, much worse than that. So the, slavery is not being affirmed here by Paul, and slavery is not being affirmed here by God as a good thing that works out good for some people. So just know that when politicians or pastors say, it really wasn't that bad, no, it was horrific. God's not affirming slavery. What Paul's making the picture here of, when he, later on he'll talk about a slave to righteousness. What is he saying? Righteousness is my master. A slave to Christ? Christ is my master. I've sold out everything. He owns me. He is my master. That's what he's trying to do. He's, they're, they're not playing on this. And so the, the difficulty in that is people try to, um, they try to change this and make it something where, um, number one, they'll try to say that, um, Paul's affirming slavery as kind of a good, okay thing. And then secondly, it's just bad interpretation rules. It's bad hermeneutics. Uh, it doesn't allow me to say that the Bible has errors in it. And so that's the, on the backside, people will say, oh, see, if, if God's affirming slavery, he couldn't be a good God. So this must be wrong in the Bible. No, a misinterpretation. That's not what Paul's saying. And Paul was not comparing it to the African-American slave trade. So just know that's not what he's talking about there. Um, so he, but he's emphasizing complete ownership. And so like in 1 first, uh, first Corinthians uh, 6, do you not know that, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. That, that, that's what Paul's identifying. I was bought at a price. My life is not my own anymore. That's what kind of uh, tying to Christ and union with Christ he's talking about. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. And God's reconciled us, but he's also making us reconcile. He owns me. He created me, and then he redeemed me. He double owns me. Um, and then on, in Galatians 2.20, uh, that, that second line, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life that I now live, I live by faith in Christ. So my life is not my own anymore. I'm living my life for Christ. Um, some beautiful things. And so he just wants to bring out that losing your life um, it, it, in the lordship of Christ is the goal. Jesus had said already, um, if anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And, and, and the person who tries to cling to their life, he said, whoever would save his life trying to cling control of it, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Um, so this idea of treasuring Christ when loss is gain. And he ends that little greeting by saying, and grace and peace to you. Grace, we know, is that word charis. And he's just saying there, um, grace, unmerited favor, unearned favor has been poured out on you. It's irresistible grace that brought you into this. And church in Philippi, I, I'm letting you know more grace is coming your way. More grace from God. More peace. And so what's that word peace talking about? Remember, your identity is based on this grace and this peace from God. You're reconciled to God instead of under wrath. 
Philippian church, instead of being under God's wrath because of Christ, now you're reconciled, you're adopted, you're in the family of God. More grace and peace to you, church of Philippi. So those are some things that we um, want to see during this book. Um, as we get to the end, the walkaways, the closing. And um, so what are some things that we could walk away with? Just one would be just gratitude of grace. Are you a person like this? This, this book is filled with gratitude for God's grace. Um, but also um, looking for the vision beyond the immediate. Paul is able to look beyond the immediate circumstances and to see for God's glory and for the good of the gospel going forward and for the good of other souls, that's what this is about. So my present circumstances is not what God is always so concerned about. And that's why when churches make the message or everything they teach about just your present winning today, winning today, winning today, you you succeeding, you succeeding, you su- that, that's not the message of the gospel. That's not, not the message of the Bible. You, you may. You, it may just be that you're working 90 hours a week and killing yourself and neglecting your family. And, and if anyone that's doing, doing those things, making that many widgets, is going to be successful if you're just doing that. So you're going to be successful. That doesn't necessarily mean God's blessings there. But vision beyond the immediate to the, the glorified gospel. And then also just a rest in God and his work. Being zealous for faithful gospel presence. Um, and then just ask yourself as we go through the book, what is your role? You're in a church plant just like in Philippi. Look around. It's a difficult thing. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not just come in and greet somebody. Hey, how are you doing? And just sit back. We know that there's a lot of work to be done. So then the last thing there is just, just asking, as we see God interrupting and, and captivating these people, do you need to be interrupted and captivated afresh? Where's your heart at as we begin this book and this study through Philippians? Um, do you need to be re-captivated and interrupted again? You know that you're saved, maybe. You know that you're a follower of Christ. You have security. Or you're a person that goes, you know, I've made commitments before or I prayed a prayer before, but I don't know if I'm truly in Christ. And so I need to really think through, am I a believer? Am I truly in love with Christ and thankful for what he's done? So as we go into the Lord's Supper time, um, I want us to think through. I'm going to give you a few moments just to assess some of those things that, we, that I threw out there on the walkaways. Heart of grace, uh, gratitude for grace. What's your role? Are you living as a faithful gospel presence? Are you still captivated and enjoying Christ? Um, I'm going to pray, and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, but I want to give you just a few moments just to do that before I pray. So if you want to close your eyes and just take some time just to um, pray before we go into the Lord's Supper.